As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Fred, Talk650andKSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk650KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi News Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Ramp blog, blog page at Twitter.com slash FarmerFred, daily garden tips, lots of snark. Uh, what else? Oh, there's Pinterest and YouTube and Instagram and, and TikTok. And, of course, the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, where if you went right now to the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, you would see a picture of today's guest and what she brought with her. <laughs> eggs, honey. We're talking chickens, eggs, bees, and honey today with Cherie Sintas Glover. Chickensforeggs.com is her website. She is an urban chicken consultant. She is a backyard beekeeper, founder, one of the co-founders of the Big Valley <laughs> Beekeeper Guild. Is that right? Yes. All right. Good, good. job. Good. Yeah, I'm, I'm rolling my eyes. I'm thinking, all I'm thinking is Barbara Stanwyck. Barbara Stanwyck. Barbara Stanwyck. Because of the word Big Valley. Oh, but, yes. Yeah. Do you know that's why we named it Big Valley? And it was because. Oh, because Barbara Stanwyck. <laughs> Because of because of the Big Valley, you know, we really are. We're in the central area of the Big Valley. Right. Yes, exactly. And the show was about far, uh, ranchers or farmers mm-hmm. in, in, in the Big and around. Valley. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's supposed to be a placard up by Lake Comanche someplace that's oh, like where, where they, they actually filmed it. Filmed it yeah. And I haven't found it yet. So if anybody happens to know where it is, they'll have to email us and then we'll do a photo contest or something. I remember <laughs> one description of the show in TV Guide for Big Valley many years ago, and the description read, Forest fire destroys Stockton. And I'm going, what? Forest? <laughs> what? How? Where? When? That's a that's a stretch for a TV show. Oh, gosh. But yeah. I don't think Stockton was ever threatened by a forest fire. Maybe a brush fire? Uh, I don't know. We'd have to go way back. Yeah, exactly. But... Oh, well, never mind. <laughs> well, that was an interesting scenic bypass. Here on here on uh, Get Growing Today, we do talk gardening, and uh, we talked about eggs and chickens. We talked about summer protection of chickens. So two points we should talk about uh, at some point during your time here, between now and 1130, is uh, preparing your chickens for colder weather, yes. for winter, yeah. and talk about that. And also safety considerations to stop the spread of, of I want to say venereal, <laughs> 
It's not. It's virulent Newcastle disease. Yes. Yes. And it's a disease in Southern California that's affecting the chickens down there because people are needlessly spreading their chickens Mm. around, and you shouldn't do that. It's so incredibly frustrating and angering because there's whole communities of, of poultry keepers, right, that either show poultry or breed poultry that are basically put on hold while this is going on. And it's, oh my gosh, it's so frustrating. People need to stop moving their birds, especially in Southern California. So was it a slow fair season for chickens? Because you participate in the fairs as far as judging chickens and making sure they're healthy and things like that. I do. So as a poultry health inspector certified by California Fairs and Expos, it means that uh, we can be hired out to basically do the initial health check. Mm-hmm. We're not veterinarians, so we can't diagnose, but we can at least make sure that the chickens don't sh- show obvious signs of being ill or or have you know some type of disease or illness or something. So we do that initial check as the birds come into the fair as a biosecurity measure. And then we're also typically on hand if a fair needs us to do any other inspections during the, the show. All right. Yeah. And... Uh, We'll be answering your chicken questions, your egg questions, your bee questions, your honey questions <laughs> between now and 1130. The numbers to call in, 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Hi, Cameron. How are you today? He's doing good. <laughs> Thumbs up. Is that is that honey for me? It is. It I is? brought that just for you. Can I give one to Cameron? If you, if you okay, do you well, like, do you like honey? He can, yeah. Okay. Oh, he does, he's he nodding. Okay, yes. All right, okay. Good. Sure. All right. Good. But and but we should talk with Scott here. Okay. In Woodland, who waited at the KFBK Garden Show and didn't get through, mm. and, and but he uh, smartly came over here to get growing, okay. where he can be the first caller. Hi, Scott. Scott. <laughs> Why don't we hear oh, Scott? Oh, no. <laughs> Why Scott, don't we hear Scott? Where are you, Scott? Is Scott there? I don't hear Scott. Oh, oh my goodness. Oh, Scott. Scott. <laughs> we tried so hard to get you. I don't. He he went away again, or we're just having hideous phone problems. Yes. I'm not sure which it is. Oh, well. <laughs> Bye, Scott. All right. <laughs> we tried. I, yeah, we tried. All right. Fine. Um. Hmm. You can try again, Scott, with your call and see if that works. He had a chicken question, right? No, he actually had a nectarine tree question. Oh. Oh, all right. Oh, he had a tree question. Yeah. Oh, one of those things. Yeah. (laughs) We do gardening here. I know. I forgot. We we, we can answer. (laughs) We we try to answer everybody and everything here. But that's okay. Let's finish up about chickens. Okay. Winter warmth. What do they need in the wintertime? I know it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's still summer, but it's late September. Anybody who was outside yesterday knew oh what gosh. a beautiful day it was. It was gorgeous Th- yesterday. Things are getting cooler. Days it, are getting shorter. It felt cooler. And you know what it was, was interesting is it because I was out feeding my chickens after I took care of my bees. Um, I noticed that they are, our chickens right now are not eating, eating as much feed as they normally do, which is a sign that fall is approaching. Because they eat less in the wintertime? Well, they do. Yeah. They don't eat quite as much. And in the summertime, they're producing eggs. They're eating a lot. They're kind of, you know, just feeding like crazy. Mm-hmm. But there was definitely a noticeable drop in the amount of feed that they needed. So um, I don't know where the fall- farmer's almanac is or anything, but <laughs> it would be interesting to see 
like how soon fall comes. I would love for us to have fall weather, though. Well, if you want to use acorns as a judge, oh. it's it's kind of a masked year. I'm seeing acorns everywhere, and that uh-huh. usually means it's, uh, according to the old farmer's almanac, uh-huh. it, it, it could be a uh, interesting cold year. Really? Yeah. Okay, see, this is... I think I really do. Or an interesting dry year. (laughs) I do believe that animals kind of have, they're in tune with certain things environmentally. So if they, yeah, who knows? Anyhow, it was interesting. So yes, to keep, to to help our birds, our chickens through the winter, Mm -hmm. uh, what we were talking over on the other side of the radio station, their chickens naturally have higher body temperatures. So winters for us, especially here in the valley, are really mild. We don't have to worry so much. Sometimes people will get frantic. It'll get, you know, we'll have a couple nights of freezing and, oh, my gosh, what do we do? We need to bring out the heaters and the lamps and the everything for our chickens. But really, they're okay. And they you could do things like just make sure there's not, um, you know, that they have a dry, warm place to go to. Warm meaning that there's not drafts or huge amount of air movement, just enough to keep the air fresh but but not keep them cool. Um, and they are they're feathered. They're ready to go. They're they're ready for winter. So there's not really much you have to do. All right. No need a light or anything. Nothing. You really don't need anything. Um, sometimes I do have some chickens that have a larger comb or wattles, right? So mm-hmm. wattles are the the red part that hangs under that chicken's um, throat, and the the comb is on the top, right? We know what the comb is. Is that spelled W A T T L E? Comb. Or, no. Oh, wattles. <laughs> Wait, what? Uh, wattles. How do you spell wattles? <laughs> W-A-T-T-L-E-S. Okay. As opposed to W-A-D-D-L-E-S. Yeah, not waddles. Which, which is what you put on the side of the road to keep <laughs> that's, mud from That's what your duck does. Your duck waddles. Well, that too. There you go. All right. But I, I was thinking more of those <laughs> tubes of, of natural fiber that they put on the sides oh. of the road to keep uh, erosion from Those happening. are called waddles? Yeah, they're called waddles. Wait, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. But you're right. A duck does waddle. Yes, a, tuck, a duck does but waddle. But a chicken has a waddle. A chicken has a... Oh. <laughs> Waddle. waddle. All right. And duck waddle. Sorry, combs and waddles. So what happens is... That was the name of my band in high school. (laughs) It was your band. So there was... um, So because it's kind of hanging away from their bodies, Mm -hmm. it can freeze. So Really? uh, Yeah. So an old wives' tale would be to put Vaseline on the comb and the waddles to help kind of insulate them. But it's what hit. do temperatures have to get to for you to have to do that? Yeah, it would have to be like Minnesota. Oh, we're so not. We're Minnesota. not Minnesota. Um, if we get, because we do, we do get some some below freezing temps, right? And, yeah. And usually December or January. So and sometimes November. Sometimes November. Yeah. So we, you know, you just want to make sure that your good good rule of, of thumb is to feed your chickens that scratch or that corn. In the wintertime. In the wintertime. Because you time. talked about don't feed them corn right. or scratch don't in the summertime. Right, don't do that in the summertime because right. that raises their body temperature. Okay. So, so what, what is scratch? Scratch is usually some kind of cracked corn. Sometimes it will have some other grains in it. You can buy it in a big bag at the feed store. And that's the, it has, it's like a grain, it's whole grains for the most part. So when you go shopping for scratch, mm-hmm. I imagine you're one to read the label as far as what's inside of it. I do. I, what I do you look, look for? I'm looking for mostly just the cracked corn because it's cheapest. Sometimes it'll have, um, gosh, I'm trying to remember all the little, the little other little nuts and crannies of things that are in there. Um, sometimes they'll have a little bit of whole wheat or maybe some barley. Mm-hmm. So, okay. um, so that's in there too. But I really, honestly, look for whatever's on sale. Okay, there you go. <laughs> the label makes a difference, you know, as long as it's not like really awful. But yeah, yeah. All right, good. Well, that, that's good to know. Uh, 
you can buy on price. You do. Well, because okay. most scratches are pretty much the same. I mean, some, some of the feed manufacturers do kind of alter it a little bit, but it's not mm-hmm. too bad. Is there Kirkland feed? <laughs> you know what? They're, they do sell it. Do they? To the very to the chagrin of a lot of feed stores, are not they were not happy when when, when Costco that, yeah, got started their started feed yes and... started selling chicken coops and chicken feed. Yeah, eek. But it's not chick season. It isn't the season where you wander into Tractor Supply Company and see that uh, that cute little display of little chickies inside the water trough. Yes. Yeah. That are usually just really loud because it's either too hot or too cold or yeah. they're too crowded or something. It's um, it's it's hard because there's a lot of places you can buy chicks and and so you want to go through as you're going through those feed stores, you know, if you know that you're going to have chickens in the spring, you know, check them out. Take a look at the chicks. You know, you want to make sure they're healthy, they're lively, that they don't have um, uh, poop stuck on their butt okay. kind of thing. Yeah. And that they are they're, they are loud to a certain degree, but make sure they're not too stressed. Those are the ones to take home. And you hope that they're female and not male. Well, if you're fortunate, so <laughs> a lot of the feed stores, they will know if something is called, if, if they've gotten an order that is straight run. So straight run means that you could have males and females. Everybody's in there. It's, you have a 50-50 chance, supposedly, of getting a male or a female. Those would be the sale chicks. Those would be the sale chicks. Yeah. Where they're not quite old enough, you can't really tell what sex yeah. they are. But um, but other breeds of chickens, they will actually say these are pullets, you know. And so you can say, yes, I know I'm going to bring home a pullet. And most of the time, you're right. Well, aren't there male pullets? Or what no, is, no. Okay, so there's cockerels. 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 Yes. Cockerels and pullets. Yes. Those are for chickens that are under a year old. That's I did not know call. that. Okay. Yeah. That's good to so know. So you want to look for the pullets. So if you want hens for eggs when you go to the feed store or when you're ordering them online, you want the pullets. And you'll probably pay a little extra for that. All right. Yeah. Good enough. We have more chicken tips. We have bee tips. We're going to talk about plants that uh, bees find attractive. When we come back, and we'll talk to people on the phone, too, that are calling us with questions. 916-576-1578-866-331-8255. Email. Send it to Fred at FarmerFred.com. It's the K. Where am I? Get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Cherie Sintas-Glover of ChickensForEggs.com, urban chicken consultant and backyard beekeeper, one of the co-founders of the Big Valley Beekeepers Guild. We're answering your questions at 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Email, send it to Fred at FarmerFred.com. Liz writes in uh, and says, and she has an egg story. Oh, okay. And, And she says, we had nine chickens each produced a different color. Mm-hmm. I took a dozen assorted color to my son's home down south. He's showing them to his buddy, and his buddy says, these are eggs? I thought they only came in white or brown. <laughs> well, you learn when you get chickens, don't you? You do. Yes. And again, as we explained over on the KFBK Garden Show, uh, the different chickens lay different colored eggs. They do, and it's it's based off of the breed of that chicken. So. Right. So we know that certain breeds will, will lay certain colored eggs. The most common ones that people like to get at the feed stores or breeds of chickens mm-hmm. are the Americanas. 
And those are the ones that lay sometimes like a pinkish color or a greenish or bluish colored egg, just because it's unique. And it's it, it just makes, when you open up that egg carton, you can always tell a chicken person because they're just so appreciative of all the, <laughs> they're, look at these colors, they're amazing. And Again, the chickens we have on display here in the studio, there's a picture of them posted at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. And you can see Cherie's smiling face along with different colored chicken eggs and Honey, mm-hmm. different colored honey. Yes. So there's that. Yeah. All right, back to the phones we go. Uh, Chuck and Rockland, how you doing? Hey, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, sure, Chuck. Chuck. What's up? <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got uh, I got twelve. We have twelve chickens of our own that we've raised um, right now. Uh, we've got uh, three light Brahmas, uh, four Bard Rock, and the others are kind of like a Heinz fifty seven because we used to have a rooster in. <laughs> And we've gotten some hatched here at the house. Oh, good deal. But my my question is, every I don't know because we don't have the rooster anymore. Um, but while we had them, when you'd crack an egg open every once in a while, there'd be like a spot of look like a spot of blood on the yolk. Mm-hmm. Now, what what would cause that? That's a good question. A lot of people will jump right to, oh my gosh, it must be a fertile egg, or that must be the start of a baby chick or something. And it's it's really not. Um, uh-huh. if, if you're looking at fertile eggs, um, you're looking for something completely different and it's more almost inside of the yolk kind of, sort of. Um, so what you're seeing though, with the tiny speck of like blood or debris or something just happens to be, um, maybe that chicken has an internal, you know, injury of some sort over the years, or maybe they've, you know, it's just something that's part of that internal process as that, as that egg is laid. It's typically uh-huh. not going to hurt you. Um, a lot of people just scoop it out with a pair of spoons. I tend to do that because um, there are these little, um, gosh, and little, if you notice if you crack an egg open, there's little white kind of springs, right? Like little white right. pieces. So uh-huh. I, those drive me nuts when I have scrambled eggs. So I actually take them out with a pair of spoons. <laughs> <laughs> so while I'm there, if I see anything else, I'll pick it out too. But it won't really, I've never heard of that hurting anyone. And I don't think there's any, yeah. It just might not be as appetizing, you know, but it's, right. it's not going to hurt you. It's oh, okay. protein. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's just protein. It's protein. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much. You're All right, welcome. Chuck, thanks for calling. Appreciate it. All okay. Right. All right. And let's see. Here, here's a text message from my daughter and says, my favorite air plant has died. I can't find one like it down here. I remember <laughs> that the nursery in Folsom had a lot of fun varieties. Next time you're there, would you check for me and mail it down if they have it? No, I won't. You come up here and pick it out yourself. You haven't been here for quite a while. Maybe you ought to visit your father sometime. Thank you. Those darn kids. Yes, those darn kids. There. All right. Fine. She's going to get a, yeah, wow, big guilt trip now. (laughs) She doesn't listen. She just likes bugging me during the show Uh, because she knows. I don't know what she knows. She knows I'm going to. Lash out on the air. <laughs> Whatever. All right. Bees. Let's talk bees oh, yes. and honey bees. You're a backyard beekeeper. We talked about how the aroma of the honey is so great. UC Davis, the entomology department there, mm-hmm. the probably the Hagendus Honey Bee Haven there produced a color or not a color wheel, a an aroma wheel. A flavor. Kind of, a flavor. Yes. Oh, here you go. It's just like a scotch wheel. It really is. It's <laughs> it's got all the primary tastes. And so <laughs> yeah, there's some interesting ones on yeah there. <laughs> there is this is interesting so if the honey tastes fruity uh, 
then you have to say, well, is it berry type fruity or citrus or dried fruit or tree fruit or tropical fruit type fruity? And then, okay, let's say it's tree fruit fruity. Well, then does it resemble apple, pear, quince, cherry, apricot, or peach? So if you can imagine a wheel divide with about a hundred spokes on it with these different terms on it, that would be about the number of different uh, aromas and flavors. I get it. Is it? So what? I'm having problems reading this. It's aromas and flavors. Yes. But the aromas and flavors. Do the colors mean something? Oh, not not generally. I think it was just more for them to be able to help people decipher the wheel. Um, you know, if you're if your honey tends to be darker, that might help, you know, a little bit as far as the color, because it does, um, oh gosh. So for instance, primary tastes, one can be animal. <laughs> so that be, so animal or fruity or um, herb, herb, herbiscus, woody. Herbaceous. Herbaceous, yes. <laughs> spicy. As opposed to a hibiscus. Um, yes. Caramel, confectionery, nutty, burnt. There we go, burnt. Yeah, Burnt. So really, for those of you with the room and you wanted a particular aroma or flavor to your honey, you would use this wheel and then plant accordingly. You could. Yeah. But but the, the only dilemma you might have is that bees can travel great distances right. for what they want. And yes. So even though your full intention is to have a... A citrusy or what is that orange orange blossom? Yeah, we hear that quite a bit. Oh, this is orange blossom, honey. Well, unless those those bees are actually out in the orange fields fields of Fresno, <laughs> while the blossoms are there, I don't know really how that can happen. But your bees may decide to travel. The the Scotch wheel is very very similar in that for what is citrus in honey world, toffee is oh. the term used a lot when it comes to describing aromas in the world of Scotch. And I'm sure Mrs. C isn't making whiskey in the back. <laughs> so I'm not sure how toffee gets such, to be such a popular aroma in scotch. That's interesting. All right. <laughs> the, uh, uh, but there are plants to keep your bees happy. What do bees need in the way of natural surroundings? Oh, gosh. So they need, um, they need plants or flowers that are be, they're able to get pollen and nectar from. Okay. The nectar is what they use to make honey. The pollen is their is what they use as their bee brood or, the, you know, to feed them, feed themselves. Because they're very busy and they know exactly what they need based on how much brood they have, how many bees they have, mm -hmm. what's in season, you know, or what's, what's in bloom. And we often say in the world of agriculture that for one out of every three bites of food you eat came courtesy of a bee. Mm -hmm. And that's them mm -hmm. moving the pollen around yes. to, to yes. the various uh, plants, like in the almond orchards mm -hmm. in, in February and March, because I guess uh, pollen is sticky, so it sticks to the feet of the bees, <laughs> and the bees take it to the next tree they go to. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And some of it gets left behind, and pretty soon you've got almonds. Oh, yes. Yeah. Although, what's, in, what's interesting, our neighbors recently planted some almonds, and they are self they are self-pollinating almonds. That's not necessarily true. And I'm like, how do they do that? <laughs> well, it, it's they need fewer bees. Oh, that's it. Okay. It's in the in the case Ugh. of of the old almond varieties, uh, it's you usually the recommendation was two hives per acre. And oh. with the 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 self-pollinating varieties, you still need about one hive per mm. acre. But it's 
you could do it without bees, but you wouldn't get very many nests. That's okay. Yeah. That's good to know. If you want a good production, mm. you need you need bees. You need bees. Even for the self-pollinate, you just need fewer bees. So in the long run, it's cheaper for the farmer. Oh, got it. To do that. Got it. Um, but for the backyard mm-hmm. gardener and backyard beekeeper to keep the bees happy, to give them something to do, they need something that is in bloom every season of the year. And there mm-hmm. is no single plant that's in bloom every season of the year. <laughs> However, there are many plants that bloom seasonally that would do well in your backyard if you just do it on a rotating basis. One of my favorite plants to put in for bees in the wintertime is rosemary. Oh, yeah. Because honeybees love yeah. rosemary. And when does honey, and when does rosemary bloom? September through April. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the off season for a lot of blooms. It is. And that's where, especially in the valley, we don't have a lot, you know, a lot of the things that we have that bloom end during the mid to late summer. Mm-hmm. So being able to focus on that and plant things, that's if your bunnies, if your bunnies, if your, if your bees, your honeybees are going to be um, hungry, that's when they're going to be hungry is at least in our area. Cause as you know, beekeeping is local, just like gardening. Gardening is local. <laughs> I've heard that, yes. <laughs> so the bees really need more in our area towards the mid to late summer and going into fall. So anything you can plant, like rosemary or mm-hmm. even sunflowers. Sunflowers Oh, yeah. To... And there are a lot of good herbs that attract bees. Mm-hmm. Oregano and thyme, for example, are, are good examples of things that do have an extended bloom season mm-hmm. that can attract uh, bees for not so much through the winter for oregano and thyme, but at least a long spring and summer bloom season. Mm -hmm. We need to take a break. When we come back, let's talk more about uh, plants that bees like. And we'll do that. Cherie (laughs) Sintis-Glover is here. We're answering bee and chicken questions. And and we'll have a garden grappler at 11 o'clock based on probably what we're talking about here. There is a clue (laughs) available at FarmerFred.com and a clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page underneath uh, the advice of how to pick up chicks. It's all there, and we're all here at Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with Cherie Sintas-Glover, chickensforeggs.com is her website. She's an urban chicken consultant and a, a chicken inspector of sorts. Yes, so um, California Fairs and Expos came up with a program back in the, uh, gosh, I want to say it was around 2006, but don't quote me on that, Um, because they had exotic Newcastle disease that was an Mm -hmm. outbreak, and now it's called... Virulent. Virulent. Close. (laughs) That's okay. I can't say regenerative. (laughs) And so... um, and so they came up with this program to help uh, monitor chickens as they came into fairs and were entered and, and just to check for some basic uh, basic health concerns as people brought them in. So, yeah, yeah. So I do that, and then I do uh, – people will hire me to come out and actually do consultations at their house about their chickens. If they don't want to do the research or they just want an extra pair of eyes or they want to learn more about their chickens and have a one-on-one kind of class – that's what I do. Or I'll teach chicken classes at different feed stores and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's fun. I really enjoy it. You and got any appearances coming up you want to plug? Oh, I don't because we're going into fall. Um, but I, but if anybody's interested in having me come out, definitely reach out to me. So okay. we can check the schedule. You can find her email address at her website, chickensforeggs.com. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. All right, bees, plants. I know what my bees like. <laughs> 
<laughs> they like anything that's in bloom, just about. They, mm-hmm. In my yard, they really like gylardia. Yes. They love oregano. They love the thyme. They love the California buckwheat, which is one oh. of my favorite uh, uh, California drought-tolerant plants because it's in bloom from May through October. And the color changes, much like a sedum, much like an autumn joy sedum. Flower head changes color through the season. So does the California buckwheat change color, and the bees like that. Um, just about any salvias. Oh, my love. gosh, yeah. 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 They, they love salvias. Um, lavenders, mm-hmm. uh, just about anything in bloom. Mm-hmm. I remember reading somewhere where it said bees aren't attracted to the color red. And I go, I've seen them on my no, bottle they... brush. They love it. <laughs> They love red. Any dark colors. In fact, the recommendation is if you have bees of your own and you go out to your beehives, do not wear any dark colors if you can help it. So you really don't want to wear red when you're working with your bees or black or don't wear sunglasses because it exemplifies the the face. Bees over hundreds of years have have learned what what so their main predator, right, besides a bear would yeah. be a human. Yeah. Right? They know. Bees are capable of knowing. They know where eyes, what an eyes and nose and face, ellipse, what a face is made out of, the characteristics. That's why if you're, if you're out with your hives and your bees are getting agitated, they're going to come towards your face because they know that that's the perfect spot to try and sting. Now, granted, our bees typically don't, that's not the first thing they do. You don't just walk out there and they start to sting you. <laughs> yeah, it's not like you're raising yellow jackets. <laughs> right. <laughs> but usually if you, if you get that kind of reaction from your bees as soon as you go out there, that means something's wrong. That means either a skunk's tried to break in, maybe one of your hives is is uh, queenless. Something else is maybe they're fighting off, you know, the varroa mite. There's something going on because bees don't normally act like that. Well, you just raised another thousand questions. I know. <laughs> but before we go any further, let's talk a little bit about more the oh, plants. Oh, yeah, sorry, the plants, plants. The plants that you have found yeah. that honeybees enjoy. You know, it's. Um, I was thinking about this during the break. Our... The bees love, love, love our oak trees that are in the front yard. Hmm. And there's certain times of year right now, they, they have a lot of whatever they're releasing, some sap of some sort. Oh, my gosh, it's all over my car. And and the bees are up in there, and especially now and then also in the spring. They are, they are all over the oak trees. Okay, so it's not a case of your oak trees having aphids. The aphids are secreting honeydew, which is a sugary oh, substance. Well, that's and that's possible. what's dripping on your car, and it's sugar, <laughs> so the bees like it? It might be. Okay. <laughs> The bees might be eating that. Okay, that means I need to I need to talk to an arborist. Yeah, and with the and this that that's <laughs> a good point to dovetail off of because one control that is out there to control aphids in a large tree would be using a systemic that contains imidacloprid. Oh. However, imidacloprid though is fatal to bees. Yeah, I would not want to. No, mm. and there are studies that have shown that the bee population is in serious decline. And it's theorized that one of the reasons for that decline is the use of more what are called neonicotinoids, which include imidacloprid, which works at controlling disease. But because it's a systemic, it stays in the plant. And if the bees are foraging around those plants, they could absorb some of that poison. Mm, Not good. Yeah. So... In the case of a metacloprid, it's uh, on the label. It'll say, do not use when bees are present. <laughs> wow. That's funny because I don't. The only So you could use it at night, but 
it wouldn't. No, I mean, the bees are going to no, be there the next morning. Except that in Minocloprid, <laughs> it's going to last for right. weeks at a time. Yeah, that's not going to work. Yeah, so that you have to come up with an alternative uh, solution for that. Uh, so, all right, so they so they like any okay, so they like secretions of aphids. All right, uh, <laughs> any other plants that you can think of? <laughs> oh my gosh! So my salvias, they mm-hmm. are digging big time. Um, Oh, my gosh. Let's see. What else are they? You know, early season uh, plants that do bloom, and they use them in orchards a lot, is mustard. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's when that starts to bloom. If you have uh, some acreage or Mm -hmm. a large plot, you can put some uh, mustard in there, and it blooms in February. Yes. They like that. Something else that blooms in February and March, which is pretty, California poppies. Oh, my. I have had the hardest time raising California poppies, and I don't know what, what it is. Here's a key. Okay. I discovered this by accident. Actually, somebody told me. Wait until it starts raining in earnest before you scatter your California oh. poppy seeds out. Because okay. generally speaking, if you okay. put them out now mm-hmm. or in mm-hmm. September or October, uh, they dry out before it has a chance to rain. And we don't really get serious rains until late October right. or into November. Right. So when it really does start raining, that's, that's when, when you, you toss okay. out your uh, poppy Good seeds. Good deal. That's what I Thank learned. Thank you. Uh, maybe <laughs> Phil from Moraga can add into that because he's a wise old guy. Hi, Phil. All right. Let me get you out the speakerphone here, maybe. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Here we go. Hey, uh, you know, um, cilantro actually this time of year is um, flowering out. It's pretty cool. A lot of bees, uh, you know, they love all the uh, oh, all the onions and and uh, all that good stuff too. When you start them flower out, yeah, exactly. You know? When when they start flowering out, uh, cool season crops like cilantro, if you leave them in the ground come May and they start to flower, the bees, the hoverflies, the beneficial insects, they love those flowers. Okay, yeah. Real quick, speaking of neonicotinoids, didn't I mention that three years ago? Um, anyway, my question being, um, we've got a beehive that I'm working by, and it's in the base of an old tree. Um, how long is that female going to stay there? How long is the queen going to stay there? Well, just they move every year. Just remember that um, that all the bees in a in a colony are female, not just the queen, except for the drones. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, so all the worker bees, or all the bees that are in that colony, are all female. Are they mad because they're not the queen? No, because okay. they actually they 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 kind of, they or the the colony is what dictates if that queen sticks around or not. Yeah, for most for the most part, they can those the queen bee is going to emit certain pheromones to be able to tell the colony whether or not she is doing what she needs to do and if if things are healthy if she's laying the way that she's supposed to. So that colony, if they don't think something's going right with the queen, they'll actually replace her. They'll Whoa. make a point to to. Uh, kick her out yeah basically they yeah. they they supersede her and they they create a new queen so somebody's following her it's just like real life oh my gosh <laughs> yeah so that queen so when you have a backyard hive you're typically replacing that queen every two to three years and that's just so that she keeps up her laying potential um but if you don't do it the, the colony's gonna do it so that one that's in that in that base of a tree that you have there um, they're probably, if they're doing well, they are splitting off. So that means the colony is growing in the spring. They'll probably swarm. Part of them will swarm and then part of them will stay there. So it's the way, it's the way that the bees multiply and kind of expand. Do swarms only okay. happen in spring? Not always. They usually happen. You'll see a whole bunch of people say, oh my gosh, there's a, some bees in our front yard in April and May. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes right around this time of year. Oh, okay. But All this right. is an, this isn't an ideal time of year because... 
that colony, if they're moving with a swarm, they don't have the resources. They're, they're going to have to find a new home. They're going to have to build comb. They're going to have to get a food source in there and get brood going before the winter months, which is... We're I wonder if they have to get a permit for that. I'm sorry? A permit for the new home. Yes, oh. they do. <laughs> hey, hey, real, real quick. I, and here's another question. I've seen some... I think there's stray bees from a different hive mm-hmm. coming in and being attacked and killed. Oh. What's up with that? Have you Wait, seen that? where are they attacked and killed? Um, there's just like one bee will show up, and then the, and then like four or five other bees from the main hive will come in and, and kill it. Oh yeah, because they're like you're not you're not from our, our neck of the woods. So they're from a different neighborhood. <laughs> yes, bees bees. It's funny because there's been different studies. It used to be that, um, you know, that's why you have guard bees at a, in an entrance of a hive is that they're looking to make sure. Okay, are you are do you belong to this colony or not? Are we going to let you in? If they don't have that those guard bees, then then that hive can be robbed, literally from another hive down the street. <laughs> the other hive can come over and start robbing their honey stores and and everything in between. Um, so it it those guard bees actually watch. But what they found is that if a bee actually gets into the main body of the hive, those nurse bees don't really even the bees don't even really pay attention. So the one opportunity for a hive to kind of protect itself from foreign bees is. Um, Fight them off. <laughs> to fight them off at the entrance. Phil, we have to go. Cameron's giving me hey, dirty no, I looks. I appreciate that. You guys are awesome. Thank you. All right. Oh. Bye. All right. We'll take that break, Cameron, that you so desperately want to do. More with Cherie since it's Glover coming up as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Garden Grappler coming up at 11 o'clock. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. I think you'll be able to answer it fairly easily. Cherie, since this Glover is here, she will be the official judge and hanging jury for today's competition. <laughs> and again, that'll be coming up in just a few minutes right here. Chickens and bees is what we're talking about here. Urban Chicken Consultant and Master, uh, excuse me, co-founder of the Big Valley Beekeepers Guild. I'm going to cross off the word master here. You're not a master yet. Not yet. All right. I've been calling you a master beekeeper. (laughs) It's on my list. All right. There we go. Uh, We're offering up tips for caring for your backyard chicken flock in the heat of summer and the cold of winter. She also, it says here, discusses backyard bee care. That's the description on the podcast. Yes, <laughs> this show is available as a podcast. So if you know somebody who has chickens or bees in their backyard, you might want to forward the link to the mm-hmm. podcast. So this will be posted soon after the completion of the program at noon. Just go to KSTE.com or your iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your fine podcasts and Download the link or send the link and send it to your friends mm-hmm. who might mm-hmm. might want to learn something new yes. about chickens and bees. Bee care. How about bee care in the summer and winter? What do you? Where do you put your hives? Oh, they are um, out in a pasture, kind of out of the main main drag, and they are in full sun. Sometimes people will try to put their hives in shade. Don't do that. <laughs> You can what? help it. Bees are not as happy in the shade. Oh. You're going to get grumpier bees. That's me. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm grumpy in the shade. I need full sun to you grow need full food. Sun. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, so we, so they're out kind of in a pasture. The busy times for beekeepers really depends on where you are. But here, you, you know, the winter months, so November, December, January, you're not really, you're, that's the time you're taking the inventory of your bee equipment, you know, seeing if you need to buy any new boxes or, kind of plan for the spring 
the spring, usually February, March, April, that's when things gear up. That's when you're that's when you're inspecting your hives. That's when you're figuring out if you need to treat them or not and making sure they're healthy, can clean right and ready to go. One recurring theme I hear from new backyard beekeepers, it's a disaster that seems to happen every fall and that is where did the bees go? They oh. left. They left. They left? Yeah, where do bees go in the fall? Oh, they hunker down. <laughs> They hunker down in their in their hives or in their colonies. Unless so, there's something wrong with it and they want to go someplace else? Well, They're not happy there? It would be weird. It would be weird for bees to leave or abscond or, or leave their hive or their colony. And, and that's because, especially that time of year. And the reason is that they don't have really the resources mm-hmm. to be able to survive if they go someplace else. So if your bees start to swarm, if your hives start to swarm in the fall months, that's really, you kind of want to try and prevent that from happening if you can because... They aren't going to have time to set up a home before the real cold set in, sets in, and they need resources. So we come back to the question of, okay, what's causing them to swarm, yeah. to, to want to leave? It could be a variety of things. It could be, well, it depends on the time of year, right? It's, right. It, that's the big answer is it depends. So if, if it's in the springtime, it's usually because they've, they are, that's their natural thing to do, mm-hmm. right? To grow and to create a new colony and to move on. So... If they've outgrown, if you aren't paying attention to your bees and you don't know, oh, my gosh, they've outgrown their hive, you know, if you haven't added an extra box or added extra frames, then they're going to develop a queen. They're, the colony is going to build a new queen, and they're going to, and half of them are going to move. Well, this question would have to deal with your area of expertise, and mm-hmm. that is, do chickens and bees get along? <laughs> they do. Well, it's funny how many people that have chickens have bees or vice versa. And I think it's because it kind of goes hand in hand. People want to have, you know, be sustainable. They want to have their own food products. And nothing is cooler than having your own bees and having your own honey. <laughs> yeah, well, it really I'd, is. I'd, I'd vote for eggs, too. Oh, yes. Yeah. Having your own eggs is, is fantastic. Yeah. And so what we've found, though, some people will keep their chickens in with their bees in the same general area. But you mm. have to monitor it because your chickens will eat the bees. In really? fact, Yes. Oh. In fact, that's one of the... They will wait there by the entrance, and as the bees kind of fly in and land, they'll be right there to scoop them up and eat them. So, so maybe put some sort of wiring around your uh, beehives to keep yeah. the chickens out? Yeah, because you don't need to have them in the same area. You yeah. don't have to unless you are you have a limited space. But, you know, have have a divider so your chickens can't necessarily get right up to the hives. We only have about a minute left before we have to take a break for news, okay. but I think you can address this in one minute, and that is the importance of stenciling some identification numbers <laughs> on your beehives. Yes, it's part of the um, part of the requirements for for the different counties, and it's part of the registration. But it's also because if there is an issue, you know, they can find you. <laughs> yeah, because if they get stolen, yes, they have. An oh well, ID. that's a whole another. Yeah, well, yeah, that's what I was yeah. getting at was the fact that yeah. beehives do get stolen, mm. and uh, it's people looking for crimes of opportunity. And if these beehives are located next to an easily accessed area near a street, yes. it's not uncommon yes. to come back to an empty field and your beehives are gone. And let's say authorities recover those beehives later on. If you have some sort of identification number on yes. there, at least you might have a chance of getting your bees back. It should have your name and your telephone number on it, basically. And a lot of people, they don't just stencil them, but they'll actually burn them into the side of the hive. Right. Okay. We'll take that break for news. When we come back, it's Garden Grappler time, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. It's the Garden Grappler coming up right here on... (laughs) 
You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. If you're up on your bees and your plants, we've been talking about it for the last hour with Cherie Sintas Glover. And I bet you could uh, come up with some answers pretty quick. Cameron, you ready in there? Are you ready? He, Cameron's ready. Start <laughs> writing down names and addresses and stuff like that there so you can win a prize in today's Garden Grappler. First five callers win a prize. Caller five gets a bonus prize because, as you know, in the Garden Grappler, you cannot repeat an earlier answer. And these are always questions with multiple answers. So always have a backup answer in case somebody takes the answer that you had intended to use. Mm-hmm. Name a plant that attracts bees. Duh. <laughs> name a name a plant that attracts bees. All five callers get a prize, bonus prize for caller five. The numbers to call, 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. I'll repeat those numbers for those of you just putting down your Bloody Mary mix <laughs> to repeat the, to get a pad and pencil or whatever you use to write down numbers these days. Someday I will be criticized for saying pad and pencil, saying, how old-fashioned are you? Hmm. <sighs> 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Name a plant that attracts bees. We mentioned several. There are plenty more. That's why over on the KFBK show, one of the first things I said at 8 a.m. was, go out to your yard this morning and see which plants the bees are on. Mm-hmm. All right, so there. All right, while you're ruminating on that, uh, let's answer some email things here on uh, wherever I'm at. Who's this from? Tom and Florin writes in. He says, great show this morning. Folks, I posted a question on your Facebook site but was wondering if you can answer here. Do roosters make any difference in the taste of the eggs? My brother has a foothill ranch and has chickens and bees and says he prefers to keep roosters. I think the roosters are too tough. Too rough on the little ladies, and the eggs taste the same without the boys. Ah, oh, that's a good question. the The only thing the roosters are really good for are to have fertile eggs. <laughs> so they don't. I don't think they change the taste of the egg. I've never, never heard of that. All right. Now it might be just you know someone's. Maybe that's just their perception, or maybe they really. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. So no, I I think sometimes people insist on having the rooster because it's more of a protective kind of thing, and they like the idea of having a rooster. We have a couple of roosters, but they're not with our lane flock, and I love to hear them crow. You know, I mean, it, but I don't have like twenty of them. What time do know. they start in the morning? Oh, right now I can hear them, and I can hear the ducks at maybe around five five thirty. Yeah, so barely, barely. First light. Yeah, first light. Yeah. Um, in the middle of the night, if one of our security lights comes on. <laughs> They might wake up a little bit then too, but yeah, yeah. What what are the why are the ducks awake? They well, we have a goose that's back there with them, oh. and I think we have coyotes and stuff, and so they're in a closed in pasture, but they're a good alarm system. So the other night, we, um, right now it's skunk mating season apparently. Mm-hmm. Well, so it's, it's secondary skunk mating. Secondary, season. <laughs> yeah, it is. We had some skunk that was passing through, and um, I don't know what it sprayed, but anyhow, yeah. That gets like, them going. Oh my gosh, they were like, "What's in what's in our vicinity?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. huh? Good alarm system. Yeah, skunks uh, have two seasons uh, for all that <laughs> stuff, and they seem to be about six months apart: February, March, oh, September, September, October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> uh, you have turkeys? 
No, you know, every once in a while we'll see some wild turkeys kind of north of us, but I've never actually seen any on the property where we are. You want some? Uh, <laughs> do you have some? I'll just load them in the back of the van and drive them down. Yeah, well, why not? They're, I, I, <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Yeah, really. Yeah. Gosh. They're a nuisance. <laughs> See how where I am, I'm like, oh, it's the turkeys, and we kind of watch them, but they aren't, yeah. I think it's because of our dogs, and maybe because it's, maybe with the coyotes, I don't know. But we don't see as many, like, actually on our property. Yeah. I see more hawks and buzzards and coyotes. Okay. Well, yeah, and owls. I would bet hawks would prey on young turkeys. Oh, yeah. 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 All right. Yeah, so you have more natural defenses against turkeys <laughs> than we do in the city. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All There's right. Some good snacking out there. People are calling. I'm not surprised at all. Here with the questions, uh, let's. Who's on first here? I think it is Mary in Grass Valley. Hi, Mary. Hi. Hi. So, Hi, Mary, Mary in Grass Valley, can you name a plant that a bee would find attractive? Butterfly bush. Oh yeah. Okay, butterfly bush. The uh, Budlia davidi is a mm-hmm. one variety there. They come now in in various sizes. In fact. Uh, if you were listening to the KFPK Garden Show, we did an interview with landscape designer Michael Galley, who talked about the benefits of some of the new hybrid, lower-growing, more mannered butterfly bushes that attract all sorts of pollinators, in- including bees. Mm-hmm. All right. Hey. Including bees. Yeah. Mary, good answer there. <laughs> so I'm sending everybody today from our friends at the UC Davis Honeybee Haven their list for garden shade plants for Sacramento that attract bees and also recommended low-water bee plants because, heck, we don't know if we're in a drought or not. Mm. Okay. Well, thank you very much. All right, Mary. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. All right. So we can cross uh, butterfly bush off our list of uh, bee-attractive plants. And uh, the butterfly bush flowers tend to be kind of purple, and bees like purple? Mm-hmm, they do. Well, they like all sorts. I mean, because they have a different—they see colors differently than we do. Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah. So what might be purple to us might be— I think it's black to them. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. I'll have to look. I'm still trying to get over the fact that, and it was somebody at the Urban Bee Institute. Oh, okay. And that's at UC Berkeley. Mm. And they have a great website. I think it's urban, is it urbanbees.org or urbanbees.com? I forget which. But if you go there, you're going to get more information than you dreamt was ever possible about bees. But I could swear that I read on there one time that, I, I can't go to that story because I'd name a plant that would be an oh, answer to the question. Oh, yes. We can't, so we so can't never mind. <laughs> we'll, we'll just continue getting answers here. Ray and Colfax, come on out of the washing machine and talk to us. Yeah, how about uh, wisteria? How about wisteria, Cherie? Wisteria. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Ray, do you see, in the springtime, do you see uh, bees on your wisteria? I absolutely do. Okay, all right. Well, I trust you. You seem like an honorable man. I trust you, too. Uh, I, get, I get a combination of uh, bumblebees and uh, the regular honeybees. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right, Ray, good answer. I'll be sending you those uh, uh, honeybee plant lists from uh, the UC Davis Honeybee Haven. Thanks for calling. Appreciate Thank you. it. All right. The, uh, you know, that brings up a question that we had. Uh, I think I sent you a copy of the question from a listener who was worried about these oh, black, yes. big black bees, yes. the bumblebees. Yes. And, you know, I was kind of scoffing at it. And my wife, good person that she is, says, <laughs> Fred, 
Now, some people may have never had experience with bees. Maybe they've lived in an apartment all their right, life, and right, right now they've moved to right. an area that has bees, and they've never seen a bumblebee before. Wow. And this person was worried that bumblebees might be uh, hurting or harming the hummingbirds. Oh. And that that's not, you know, really true. Yeah. I yeah, they, no. You know, hummingbirds but, are pretty. But those yeah, are bumblebees. Yeah. Those are there, and I think they were called the carpenter. The the picture that you had, it was a no. Oh wait, no, go ahead. Oh, no, it, was ca- <laughs> it was a it was it was a carpenter or a valley carpenter bee, and right. you know that's something else I've seen at Costco. Believe it or not, bees. No, oh. they sell like little carpenter bee like beehives, mason bees. Sorry, mason, mason bees. beehives. Yeah, which Do, is another crazy thing to see at Costco. Mason bees and carpenter bees are separate mm-hmm. entities, they are right? Okay. Different. Yeah. 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 And. Uh, uh, many people are worried about carpenter bees uh, getting into their home. Mm-hmm. And they tend to go after the, the wood that's gotten rotten and yeah. bad. So. so basically, if you bring out a home inspector to look for dry rot, <laughs> you could probably solve that problem and get your home up to code at the same time. Yes. <laughs> so you may want to uh, consider that. Yes. All right. Caller number three in today's Garden Grappler, it's Kenneth in Dublin. Hi, Kenneth. Yeah, hi. How you doing? We're doing fine. We're looking for plants that attract bees. I love your show, man. I listen to it every Sunday. Thank you. Uh, listen, yeah, that would be a California poppy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Cherie's mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> nodding her head. Another one if you want. No, no, no. We'll, no, no. we'll stop there with California poppy. That's a good answer. Come spring, early spring, especially even late winter when the California poppy starts blooming, the bees love it. Honeybees like it, but the bumblebees really like they it. Really yeah. They really do. They right. oh, do. Uh, as long as I got you on the phone, I have a problem with the lime tree. Is that, can I ask you the question or not? Go ahead. Make my day. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have some sort of a bug. It's black with a white stripe on it. It's about a uh, quarter of an inch long, and it looks like an ant, uh, but it flies. And it's uh, eating the buds on my lime tree. I've tried Jack's uh, uh Whatever Jack's is, Jack's. Uh, yeah, Captain Jack. Yeah, Captain Jack. Yeah. And I don't want to put any poisonous sprays on there. Uh, I don't know what to do about keeping these bugs off because they're eating the buds. And they're flying, and they're eating, yes. and you've seen them eating the buds. So this, yep. All right. I, what I did was I put a net over the plant, oh. like a uh, thin uh, mesh net. Yeah. And they got trapped inside, so I was able to find them. Uh, they come out at night. They're not there during the day. And they're only about a quarter inch long. Yeah, probably even maybe a less than that. Yeah. I bet you don't have a picture of it, do you? I got them in a jar. (laughs) If you could, take a picture and send it to me. Oh, okay. I'll try and do that. Yeah, because that's that's the best way I could figure out on how to identify it. Because I'm I'm, I'm striking out my head here as far as what it could possibly be. Something that looks like an ant, but with a white stripe and it flies. And the first thing I'm thinking is termites, but it's not termites. No, sir, it's not. Yeah. So okay then. Yeah, yeah. Send me send me a picture. I'd be I'd be interested in seeing it. Okay, sir. I'll do that. All right. Thanks, Kenneth. And I'll be sending you the uh, list of uh, low water bee plants and uh, garden shade plants that bees like too. So I'll send that your way. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. We'll take a short break. We'll come back with answers four and five in today's Garden Grappler, which is name a plant that attracts bees. You're listening to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. 
Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. And we're going through the winners of today's Garden Grappler question, which is name a plant that attracts bees. We've had three winners so far, two to come. Uh, the answer so far, as far as the question being name a plant that attracts bees, butterfly bush, wisteria, California poppy, all good answers. Cherie Sintas Glover is here from Chickens for Eggs. Dot com, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Urban Chicken Consultant and Backyard Beekeeper and co-founder of the group, the Big Valley Beekeepers Guild. Yes. And uh, <laughs> you just said something off the air that it would be very encouraging for people to uh, start their own backyard beehive. Oh, yeah. Which is urban environments are actually better for bees than country environments. They are because out in the country we often, we're so sparse, right? And we don't always, we grow specific things. Yeah, slow internet too. Yeah, slow, very slow internet. And so if you're in an urban area and even if you can't keep your own bees, the very best thing you can do is to plant bee-friendly and pollinator-friendly plants and shrubs and flowers and everything right. in between. And they're going to find it yes. in a neighborhood. What is the range of a bee, uh, the scavenging range? Scavenging range. If they could just go one direction, it's typically up to four miles. But, wow. But they can fly in a square mile radius up to 50 miles square, mile, mm-hmm. square radius. So it's incredible. Bees are very, very busy. And the other thing they look for is water sources. So so if you do keep your own beehive, make sure you have a water source available to them so that they can go to. But, yeah, plant flowers and bees that the bees can utilize. Yeah. We have a backyard fountain, and it, it's interesting on a hot day the attraction it is mm-hmm. for bees, mm-hmm. for paper wasps, for yellow jackets, for small birds, for hummingbirds, all fighting for position mm-hmm. on oh, the I fountain. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I think the bees win. They can get, bees can get really, they get very protective and they can take down a wasp. Yeah. Um, especially if there's a couple of them that are going after them, they'll, they'll bite and fight and it's incredible to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me want to redesign my fountain. Oh, really? Because it has like staging area. four tiers that the water kind of drips down and then into the holding area. Oh, okay. But I would like what we had when we lived in Harold was just like a, a single bird bath type Bowl with a mm-hmm. with bubbling water coming up the middle, and then it would cascade off the sides into the rocks below, in which there was a tank below there oh, to recircle, recirculate the water. But it seems like that gradual single base saucer, if you will, seemed to attract a lot more of a lingering audience among birds and bees because huh. there were dry areas and wet areas. Mm-hmm. If a bee wanted to stay in the dry area and, and sip on water, you could do it. Yeah. Uh, the birds, besides drinking the water, they could bathe in it. So it was always interesting to see all the wildlife that would show up <laughs> at the watering hole. Yeah. Yeah. In a bird bath type arrangement like that, as opposed mm-hmm. to a fancy fountain. Yes. But that's just me. <laughs> all right. Uh, call it number four in today's Garden Grappler. It's Linda here in Sacramento. Hi, Linda. Well, hi, Fred. Um, I got a quick question, but my. Uh, my answer is Lantana. Lantana. Yay. Yeah. Lantana. Lantana, good for bees. Oh, boy. I, w- I went to uh nursery this spring to get a couple of plants, and, and I was just amazed at the number of bees on the Lantana. And another one I won't mention. It might be the next person's <laughs> response. Thank but, you. Uh, anyway, <laughs> so I got one of, of that one <laughs> that I won't mention, and I got a Lantana. And my quick question is, it didn't get through the spring. There was one cold night, and I went out the next morning, and it was crisp. So how cold can Lantana get? Now, it was my first year planting. Maybe that's the problem. 
Well, yeah, I mean, when it, especially the, the first day of after transplanting, it, it's going through shock. And if it got down to 32 degrees or so when you planted it, that could be the problem. How cold was it? Well, you know, I don't, I didn't go out there and check the very next day, but it was probably around thirty. Oh yeah, that uh, might one twenty nine. Yeah, that's why, fall, that's why we keep saying fall is for planting. <laughs> so go back to the nursery, get another lantana plant now, and put that now, in, uh-huh. and it 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 can uh, uh, get established then through the uh, cooler but still warm soil months of September, October, November, and then really thrive come next spring. Well, it, if it's when, well, I'm going to do that, and thanks for the tip. Uh, in a normal situation, or at least after it's established, should I have to worry about that same temperature and cover it or something or not? Once it gets established, you don't have to cover it. Now, it might die back a bit, or it might even die back uh-huh. to the base, but Lantana has a habit of coming back every year. Okay. So I well, thank you very much, it. Fred. Well, you're welcome, and okay. congratulations, and I'll be sending you those uh, sheets of information from the UC Davis Honeybee Haven on garden garden shade plants for Sacramento that attract bees as well as recommended low-water bee plants. So that's coming your way. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thanks for calling. All right, caller five in today's Garden Grappler. It's Miles here in Sacramento. And, Miles, go ahead. Give us a plant that's attracted to bees that isn't a butterfly bush or wisteria a California poppy, or a lantana. And I have for you the 2020 Sacramento County Master Gardener Guide and Calendar. Miles, be my guest. An alyssum? Alyssum. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Alyssum is a a great (laughs) low-growing ground cover. And that talk about a plant that stays in bloom 10 months a year. It does. It does. And the bees love alyssum. Good answer, Miles. Um, may I ask this question? Yes, you may. <laughs> My sister loves peaches. Uh, I heard that follows for planting, so which peach would be the best to plant right now? Oh, good good question, Miles, because the best time to plant a peach tree is actually in January because you can find them at the nursery much cheaper in what's called bare root form. So if you wait a few months, and the nurseries nearest you are going to start getting in all these bare trees. They're just sticks, but those are fruit trees, and they're meant to be planted in the wintertime. So you can find some great peach varieties and many more than you could find now uh, growing in, in pots at the nursery. Many more varieties will be available in January, so maybe you could give it to her as a late Christmas gift. Oh, good idea. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome, Miles. Thanks for calling. <laughs> Appreciate it. All right. Good job, folks. There we go. Five answers. Wow. All right. What didn't we cover today? Uh, bee diseases. Oh, my now, gosh. The, now, yeah. the bee decline, we, we talked about it, the neonicotinoid issues uh, mm-hmm. about imidacloprid, mm-hmm. but that's just part of the issues because there, there's the varroa, mar, uh, varroa mm-hmm. mite, there's certain fungal diseases. I've even heard tales of the, the, the stuff that they're spraying on bees mm-hmm. to protect them from diseases oh. might be causing problems. There's, it, it, they're still trying to figure out a lot, and that's what, yeah. that's what's kind of sad is that so the most common the most common thing that we have here in this area, the two main bee bugs, bee bugs, <laughs> bee yes. bugs yeah, that's a good answer. Um, are the varroa mite and it's the uh, wax moth. The wax moth. The wax moth. I do um, not know about the. Sometimes wax moth. we can get the beetles, um, but but not typically in our area. They're not a huge problem. Um, every once in a while, you'll see American fowl brood. Um, there's other things that you need to be aware of, and that was why. So earlier we were talking about. With beekeeping, it's so it's just like anything else. You just don't show up and, and get a puppy and take it home and not be prepared. 
learn about these things before you get your first hive because part of your first year to two years to three years of beekeeping and beyond that are really going to be about recognizing when there's a problem and recognizing these kinds of diseases and things and what you can do to prevent them or at least treat for them if you need to. Um, the number one thing that is always on beekeepers' minds these days are, is the varroa mite. Mm -hmm. And the varroa mite is everywhere. You know, a beekeeper is really not prepared if they think that their, their hive doesn't have a varroa mite. Um, they're just, they are just in our environment. They came to the United States in California in 1993. So they've been here a while and they are just vicious. They are a mite that will feed off of, um, the fatty tissue and the, and the blood of the, of the, of the bees. They actually are, it's like carrying a suitcase. So if we, when we look at the size of a varroa mite and how it compares to the size of a bee, it's like if we were carrying a huge suitcase on the back of us. Mm. And they typically will take advantage. They know they'll take advantage of brood because that's where they that's where they reproduce is in the unhatched brood of of bees. And brood are basically the eggs and the larvae of of bees, of honeybees. So it's the best way to treat it is number one, to find out what kind of problem you have. So you can do something like an alcohol wash or something called a sugar sugar wash. And you can figure out at least kind of get an idea of how many mites your hot colony might have. And then you have a variety of very natural products that you can use to treat. Are you so. treating the hive or are you treating the bees or you're, both? You're treating the bees. The bees. The bees. How do you get the bees to take a shower? Ah. <laughs> you mean to take a shower? You mean to clean off the... Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because some bees are bred for being more hygienic. So if they're hygienic, they're going to take care of things like that. They're going to help clean themselves, clean off the mites, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But these mites are just, oh, they are determined. And they multiply so quickly that um, you really need to find a way. And there's opportunities within the brood cycle of a beehive. Because remember, bees, you know, bees only live to be about four weeks old. And then they die. So, what? <laughs> so yes. So the bee that you see today is not the same bee that you're going to see four weeks from now. Bees only live four weeks? Yeah, except for the queen. The queen bee lives for a couple of years. Well, what, what's but, happening in these hives? Are well, there no, bees that's, dying all that's the time? That's normal. Their life cycle is four weeks. It's about four weeks. What so do they do with the dead bees? They, they, well, sometimes they die out in the field. Sometimes yeah. they die in the hive, and then the other bees shove them out the front door. <laughs> Okay, well, so would, is it uncommon then to see a, a pile of dead bees outside a hive? Well, if you have a pile, all of a sudden there's something going on. You need to you need to inspect your hive and find out what's happening. Um, but if but you, it's not uncommon to see dead bees. They only live four weeks. I know, I know. I Sorry, so we should have talked about this earlier. <laughs> I'm sad now. I thought they lived through the winter. I thought they lived for months, no. if not years. There is, um, there are some bees that, that do, because when winter comes and certain temperatures happen, the, the queen stops laying, right? The brood cycle yeah. pauses. So in that case, they have to make sure they have enough, enough bees in the hive to keep the brood warm through the winter. But typically your bees during the summer, they are only, they're only living for four weeks. I'm so sad. I'm so sorry. Um... <laughs> Oh gosh! So, but, and this then changes everything. <laughs> the whole thing to maintain this population of bees then is is dependent upon this queen to yes. keep pumping out eggs. Yes. 
So that you can have a queen bee that will lay 1,000 to 1,200, 1,300 eggs a day. A day? A day. So if your your hive is at peak condition, you're, that's where you get the 40,000 to 60,000 bees yeah. per colony. So you figure every four weeks that colony, well, is replacing itself, basically. So that's why that brood and that queen are so important and... Yeah. Can you stick around a few minutes? Sure. All right, good. Because I'm sad now, and I want you oh, to no. che- I want you to cheer me up with some good bee news when okay. we come back. So okay. I'm calling an audible, Cameron. All right, we're going to talk with Cherie some more, and then then we'll talk with uh, uh, Andy McDonald at the uh, uh, Sacramento County Master Gardeners because I, I I need to get cheered up. Oh gosh. About bees only living <laughs> four weeks, and people have questions about bees, so we'll get okay. to those as All right, well. We'll do. When we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. I forced Sharice and Glover to stick around <laughs> for a few more minutes here because she left me so sad at the break saying that bees only live for four weeks. And it's just like, oh, that's such a short life. Mm-hmm. How old is the queen before she starts reproducing? Oh, well, she can be... Let's see. So a queen bee hatches, and then she has to go on her mating flight. And she basically mates once, and it's for life. I mean, like she wow. she actually has stores of the of, of what she needs, the semen, in order to fertilize the eggs. So she she only needs to mate once, then she comes back, and then she can start laying. And the colony, because of the different pheromones that she releases, the colony can tell how healthy she is. Yeah. And if she's laying the way that she's supposed to be, if there's anything wrong with her. Um, because, again, like I mentioned earlier, if they... If, they, if the colony detects that there's something wrong with the queen or she's not up to snuff, she's not laying the way she's supposed to, they boot her out there. They supersede her and they get they get another, they create their new, a new queen. How do you create a queen? They take, um, basically as the queen is laying eggs in the cells, right, in the yeah. different honeycomb cells, um, the bees will figure out, they will choose one that they think is right, like the, that they want to use as a queen. They'll actually um, push out the the comb so that it becomes more of like a peanut shape and mm-hmm. it actually curves down and they'll start feeding that um that once the egg hatches and it becomes a larvae they start feeding it that royal jelly and the royal jelly is what then chemically makes that that larvae become a queen and then the queen will grow and then basically once once they seal it over you have just so many days it's all about the bee math so many days before that that queen bee will hatch yeah. well if the current queen Pick, so they'll the current queen is able to detect if there's other queens that are about to hatch. They will sometimes go and attack and kill the larvae before what it's hatched. A soap opera this is. Oh, it totally is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a brutal brutal thing going on in those in those hives. And so and then but if one hatches, then they fight it out to the death. There can be only one. <laughs> there can be only one queen. There are some cases when sometimes there's a sister queen will exist in one, mm. you know, in one hive, but it's very rare. Oh, that's a Disney movie. So, yes. So <laughs> the what is in this? What's in this royal jelly? You know, I don't know. I need to. I need to research that more. But it has something. It just has what it needs chemically to make that change. It's amazing. Like when we think about bees and what they do and what their colony and how they grow. They the drones, right? Yeah. The bees know that. Um, though the queen knows. Right by the the way that the comb is formed, if she needs to fertilize an egg or not, and that's how they make drones. Drones are unfertilized right. eggs, and they're mad their whole life. <laughs> they're very well. The drones are um, 
they have a luxurious lifestyle. They just, they fly, they eat, they're taken care of until they're, and their main purpose is just to mate with the queen and then they're booted out. And there is some time. I thought you said the queen only mated once. She only mates once, but they always keep drones on hand in case the, the queen needs to be replaced and oh. then she needs to mate, then the new queen oh, needs to mate. Okay. So some lucky guy gets chosen to mate with the queen. Well, no, there's multiple. So they oh. <laughs> And how do they get chosen? So they go on a mating flight and literally the drone, so they're literally flying up as in a cluster. And I think it typically is about 50 feet up in the air. And they will, you'll see this cluster of bees and drones are big. They don't sting, by the way, either. And they, but they are big kind of, they, if they fly by you, you hear like a huge, like, ooh, like you can hear it <laughs> when they fly by you. But they go up into the air. They um, they mate with the queen in the in, air. In the air, the, of course, the male now dies. It's a circus. Now it's a circus. It's acrobatics over the air, and then when then they die, and then when she's done, she comes back to the hive. And why did they die? Yeah, because um, certain parts are ripped from their body when they mate with her. <laughs> I don't know if I can get into more details on the radio. <laughs> wow. It's a very yes. It's very violent, <laughs> but, man. <laughs> but it's, it's what a sad life. Yeah, no, the drones just kind of, but the drones are kind of fun because if you're a new beekeeper, they're the ones that you're trying to learn how to handle and pick up, right? And yeah, that kind of thing because they don't they they don't have a stinger. So, um, but yeah, yeah, well, it's amazing. It's you, amazing. You very cleverly did not answer the original question, which is how old is a queen before she starts mating? Oh yes, I didn't. Um. Depends on how soon she's mated. Oh, wait. So she could be, if they if she hatches, it's probably a couple of days to get totally till she's out of the hive. But it depends too on the weather conditions. Yeah. There's all these variables. But she could she could be out there the next day. I think. But she again, she to. lives longer than four weeks. Yes, she lives. She could live probably two to three to four years. But most people tend to replace their queens between two and three years. And that's just because if they're, you know, they're wanting to make sure that the, the queen is healthy and yeah. laying up to her potential and that kind of thing. Wasn't that the job of the bees to determine that? Why should it be up to the beekeeper? Well, because if you're trying to, depends on what your goal is. Yeah. So if you're, if you have, if you're trying to raise queens, right, or if you're trying to produce certain amounts of honey, or if you're, you know, depending on what you're working on with your colony and with your hive, you may want to control that. Because raising bees is like herding cats. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you never know when they're going to be there when they're not. And so is anything that you have control over is is helpful to be successful with your beekeeping. So you can control how long that, well, you can kind yeah. of control how long that queen exists. John, somehow I think your question got answered in that <laughs> conversation. I think you're exactly right. Uh, I, I didn't know if I should hang on or not, but yes, that's, that was the answer. So the drone is what we called as kids HBs, huh? HBs. 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 Yeah. When we were kids, we would show how mean we were because we could catch a, a bee. And sometimes we got stung, but sometimes we didn't. And on oh. the back of the bee, it had a little H. And so, you know, the wiser kids in the neighborhood figured out which ones to grab. And they were, we called them HBs. But so I'm assuming it was a drone. That's amazing. I had no idea kids did all that. That's that's, that's pretty ingenious, actually. So, yes, yeah, so drones are the male bees, honeybees, <laughs> and they do they do nothing but eat and hang out and fly and mate. And Where is yeah. the H on the bee? 
It's on the back as it hovers down onto a plant mm-hmm. uh, uh, and or, and lands to get nectar. You can see the the markings on the bee and and mm, not not the head and not all the way to the butt, but in the middle of between the two, kind of where the the butt and the head join or the body joins, where it wiggles a little bit. There's mm-hmm. a little flexibility. That's where the H used to be. That would be the abdomen. Huh. Okay. All right. Huh. Okay. You learn something new every day on this show. I know. All I'm, right. I'm going to have to look <laughs> at my drones. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, it's just what I remember. But you know, you got to remember that was oh, uh, oh, a uh, long time ago. Yes, uh, <laughs> b- before the Trump presidency, more than likely. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, a day or two. Yeah, John. Maybe, uh, uh, yeah. All right. All right. Oh, I'm glad we answered your question. Oh, thank you very All much. All right, John. You guys have a great day. All Another right. good show. Thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Sure, thank you for uh, coming down to the station today. You're welcome. We, we learned a lot about chickens and the sad life of bees <laughs> and their short life and how they're killed after sex. And it's just... <laughs> Just a sad. I know. I didn't existence. want to leave on a really sad note. Yes. We talked about a lot. This yeah, we did. We, we covered a lot. <laughs> Thank you for the eggs and the honey. You're welcome. All right. Thank you. When we come back, <laughs> we're talking with uh, Sacramento County Master Gardener Andy McDonald about what's going on at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center this coming Saturday. Coming up as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Coming up next Saturday, September 14th, it's at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. What's at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, you might ask? It's an open garden day. What the heck does that mean? Let's talk with Andy McDonald, Sacramento County Master Gardener, and find out what happens at a September open garden at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. Andy, I gotta believe you've got two seasons merging out there right now. Yes, we do. We're ending summer and beginning autumn. Tell us a little bit about what's out there right now, then. When you first walk in, there are we have a riot of color going on with our, our late-blooming flowers. We've got uh, up in the vegetable garden, we're taking out the summer vegetables. We're putting in the, the winter vegetables. We're getting everything all prepared for that. But probably the most exciting thing is within our vineyard because we're going to be doing raisin tasting. And we've still got some fresh grapes that they're going to be tasting as well. Wow. So basically, you're going to have a little talk out there on how to grow a raisin, I guess. Yes. Yeah, they're going to be showing how to do that. And giving. we've got uh, about, let's see, about six different types of raisins, uh, grapes, uh, that uh, we'll be tasting. And what's even more exciting, I think, is that we've got some of those plants for sale. Well, there's a lot happening out there in the vegetable section, but I imagine at the water-efficient landscape, too, you've got a little change of seasons going on besides some uh, late summer color. Well, we do, uh, although right now it's uh, kind of, it, it is a transition, but not a, not a huge one, not yet. Uh, when the rains start, things will really begin to change, but right now we're still kind of holding on to summer. All right. So if people are looking for some summer blooms that just might hold into October, you ought to head out to the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center this Saturday from 9 to noon for their open garden day. It's an informal event, isn't it? But what's great is there are master gardeners everywhere you can talk to. Right. Yes. We're there to answer questions. We have little seminars going on. We're very accessible to the public. All right. What are some of the uh, other little demonstrations that will be going on there? 
Well, we're going to be talking about uh, the benefits of mulch, and that will be in the well uh, section, the water-efficient landscape. They're going to be discussing uh, pruning blackberries, boysenberries, and blueberries in the berry project area. And uh, compost will be discussing basically how to take care of your compost and, and why you should have compost. Probably a demonstration on turning and sifting, I would imagine. Yes, it is. And just how to build a pile. There's different kinds of composting uh, that you can do, and they're going to be discussing that and showing them, too. Now, I would think, too, that out at the Water Efficient Landscape, I bet there will be some master gardeners who will want to bend your ear about uh, choosing plants for fall. Yes, we have that coming up. So for us, it's very exciting. We'll be also talking about plants that we're looking into to fill in some of the, the sections out there that to us seem empty. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, different types of soils, uh, different shade and sun areas, so you can select plants to fit your needs. Now, as a guy that likes to make plants out of other plants, you've got something kind of exciting coming up next Saturday over in the herb area. Yes, up in the herbs section, they're going to be uh, showing how to propagate herbs. What are some of the herbs, and there may not be an answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway, what are some of the herbs they'll be propagating? Well, I imagine that they will be propagating rosemary, and actually you can propagate basil, so perhaps they'll touch on that as well. Hmm, okay. All right. Maybe uh, some uh, outdoor basil becomes kitchen basil. Exactly. You can you can still have basil through the through the winter months. All right. Treat it right, it will treat you right. Right. It's all happening at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center, which is in Fair Oaks Park at 11549 Fair Oaks Boulevard, as you might guess, in Fair Oaks, next to the library. It'll be 9 to noon, Saturday, September 14th. It's the Open Garden Day put on by the Sacramento County Master Gardeners. Is there a charge to get into this? No, it's free. All right, but can I buy a calendar if I want to? I believe you can, the and they are gorgeous calendars this year right the 2020 master gardener gardener guide and calendar is out and they'll have it there for sale i, I think the price is ten dollars right it is all right andy mcdonald we found out a, a lot get set for fall at the fair oaks horticulture center next saturday nine to noon andy thanks for a few minutes of your time you're welcome other garden events you may want to take advantage of in the uh, coming week or so. Coming up next Saturday and Sunday at the Shepherd Garden and Arts Center at 3330 McKinley Boulevard, it's the Delta Gisneriad and African Violet Society's annual show and sale. It's next Saturday, 1 to 4 p.m., next Sunday, 11 to 3 o'clock. All sorts of African violets and gisneriads will be available for sale as well, plus free admission and advice from their expert growers. Shepherd Garden and Arts Center there in McKinley Park, at uh, 3330 McKinley Boulevard, right across the street from the tennis courts, a fine uh, facility that many garden clubs use for their events. Coming up tomorrow at the Lodi Public Library, the Master Gardener and Master Food Preservers of San Joaquin County get together to talk about cool season vegetables and pickling vegetables, so you can learn about what to grow in the coming months, and then maybe... Uh, how to pickle what you are growing in the way of, uh, you know, cucumbers and sauerkraut and uh, all that stuff. So that's coming up uh, tomorrow, 10 to 11.30 a.m. It's free at the Lodi Public Library, 201 West Locust Street in Lodi. Coming up on Wednesday, you can learn all about scapes, garlic, and, and onions at the Master Gardener and Master Food Preserver class going on up in El Dorado County at the Cameron Park Community Center at 2502 Country Club Drive in Cameron Park. 
The master gardeners will discuss how to select, grow, and harvest onions, garlic, shallots, leeks, scallions, and chives. And the master food preservers will tell you how to save it for your harvest and make it last for months. So that's coming up Wednesday, 9 to noon. It's free as well there at the Cameron Park Community Center. Uh, You know, a lot of farmers' markets these days, when they're operative, they usually have a master gardener booth in sight to answer questions. I know that the uh, Sacramento County Master Gardeners, I think it's one Thursday a month, they uh, they do it at uh, the uh, Florin Farmers Market on Thursdays. And over in Calaveras County, they do it on Thursdays once a month. And they have theirs coming up September 12th, this coming Thursday, at the Master Gardener Demonstration Garden, which doubles as a farmer's market up there in San Andreas at 891 Mountain Ranch Road. Uh, What else is going on here? Uh, Let's see, the El Dorado Master Food Preservers have a class on onions, garlic, and shallots, by the way, at the Sherwood Demonstration Garden. And that'll be on Open Garden Day on Saturday, September the 14th, the Sherwood Demonstration Garden at 6699 Campus Drive in Placerville. Uh, Let's see, we did that, we did that, and I think that's enough. All right, fine. Can I talk about KSDE Farm Hour? That's coming up next on this very radio station, also available as a podcast right now if you want it. And tariff tensions with China have really pushed farmers to the boiling point. They want an end to all the uncertainty. They need certainty in order to make money. There's too much uncertainty, and we talk about uh, the farmers' distress now and the money they're losing uh, with this ongoing uh, tariff battle with China. Farm bankruptcies are up, and uh, USDA's own export forecast numbers aren't that encouraging as well. Hey, it's a good time to be in the goat and sheep business in California. We talk about that, and we talk with a very prominent Northern California farming family, the Romingers about the importance of conservation and soil improvement practices. That's coming up on the KSDE Farm Hour next on this very radio station, anytime as a podcast, wherever you get your podcast, including the iHeartRadio app. Thank you for listening. Next week on the show, our favorite college horticulture professor, Debbie Flower, will be here, and we'll be talking about propagating plants. Have yourself a great week. See you next Sunday, 10 to noon, right here on Talk 650 KSTE. Get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.